All right, welcome to this Palm Sunday. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Please join me in your uh, copy of the scripture. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 899. John chapter 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done, the, done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Thanks, David. Yes, I do encourage you to have a copy of God's Word open to that text that was just read. What's that? I'm live. I won't have to yell. Let me see here. Let me see. Okay, we'll see how that goes. Is that any better? Boy, I'm afraid to talk. <laughs> The sound guy in the back is like, mission accomplished. All right. All right, yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead on. I'll keep talking. They'll adjust me down, I'm sure. Uh, John chapter 12 is a, a text that I find myself in uh, most Palm Sundays. When I looked at my preaching sermons that I had, you know, in my, in my files, uh, most Palm Sundays, or a lot of Palm Sundays, I end up in this text. Um, obviously, there's other texts to choose from, but I think John just actually, he captures some of the, the, the ethos really, really well. And to say that the events of Palm Sunday, that first Palm Sunday, are significant is an extraordinarily understatement. Um, what happened, I don't think we can fully comprehend it. One of my goals is to try to get us partially there, but I don't think we can fully comprehend all of the significance of what was happening in this text here and, and, and on that day here. Uh, Jesus, he has just done some great miracles. Uh, the time has come, and it is, it is no turning back here. This is it. And it was, it's just a wonderful day in many ways, but uh, a lot of different emotions that were going through this. And so what I hope to do today in, in this sermon is, is, is it's going to be very simple. It's going to be more of a kind of a, a teaching, just, just kind of walking us through uh, what, what we can learn from this and what things mean a little bit. Um, my, my goal is that we see Jesus as Jesus deserves to be seen. Okay, that, that I, I, my, my prayer is that for some people, you're introduced to Jesus in a way that maybe you have never met him before. For other people, my prayer is that you have a renewed passion 
for who Jesus is. And so today is all about Jesus, right? It's all about uh, who he is and the hope that we have. In fact, I'll say this and then uh, we'll pray and, and we'll begin. Friday night, I was uh, doing the other, you know, a funeral again. Uh, there was another funeral I did last Friday night. And um, afterwards, I was talking with, with people and a conversation with a family member um, through a lot of different things that she was saying. Um, I just made the comment. I said, the only thing that matters is what do you believe about Jesus? That's it. It doesn't, I mean, who Jesus is to you determines everything, okay? We can argue about a lot of different things of theology and things, and, and, and I enjoy those things to, to a degree, but really what matters is who is Jesus to you, okay? And, and what I mean by that is not that you get to define who Jesus is, okay? I don't mean it that way. I mean, are you going to accept Jesus for who he really is? That's what I mean by that. I want to be clear on that. So I'm going to pray, ask God's blessing, and then we'll, uh, we'll launch in, okay? Father, we pause because we need you. <laughs> Anytime we pray, um, it is a great a time for us to express our devotion to you and our awe of you. It is also a wonderful time, and you've asked us to do this, to express our need of you. And right now, I need you to help me communicate in a way that is uh, faithful to the text here, but that would be helpful to the people who are, are listening, whether here or online. Lord, we just pray, God. We just ask that, that your word, that your spirit would use your word right now to teach us and remove distractions from us, God. And, and I pray I'd be able to communicate in a way that's helpful, but in, in that at the end of the day, we're, we're all thinking about Jesus, like that, that we see who he is. And we, at the end of the day, we're, we're all thinking about Jesus, like that, that we see who he is and we see how awesome Christ is and, and how, Jesus, you are worthy of all worship and the things that we just sang about. God, I pray that as a result of looking at this text of Scripture, that those truths would just be nailed down. I'm praying for those who might be here today that, that they don't know Christ, of the Christ of the Bible. They don't know that Jesus is the way the Bible talks about him. May today be the day that they're, they're introduced to him and their lives will be forever changed. They, their lives will be forever changed in a way that they just can't even fathom. Because I know, I know that when there's times of despair and discouragement, Jesus, you make the difference. And you give me hope. And so I pray that that comes through today. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Jesus enters the city, okay? We're going to look at this. And the whole idea is that, you know, the king is coming here. And so when we see this, it says, the next day large crowds grew up in verse 12 to the feast that heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. This is a Passover celebration. This is one of the major uh, festal holidays of the Jewish uh, 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 people. And so people will come, pilgrims will come. The, the amount of population in Jerusalem would just swell enormously. In fact, they would actually, because there are certain rules and, and restrictions that you had to do things within the city walls, during this time, they actually would do a, an expansion of what they considered the city walls, that they would bring that out to accommodate all the people that were coming to this feast here. So when Jesus comes into this, he is coming into 
a great crowd and there are a lot of people here. So what he does is, first of all, what I want you to consider is that Jesus, what he does is he enters the city as king here. And I say, well, okay, that kind of makes sense. Well, but it, it, think about this though. He is accepting the crowd's designation of king. Look, look how the, the crowd receives him. Okay, verse 13 says, they took branches of palm trees and went out to beat him, crying out, Hosanna. What's the deal with the palm trees? Like, what, 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 how do, why is that so significant? Well, why has that become something that we associate with Palm Sunday? We said, well, because they did it here. Well, that makes sense. But why were they doing it here? Have you ever stopped to wonder that? Like, why was it that, that palm trees were being waved? And what was the significance of that? Well, I'll tell you what the significance of it was. Is that it really went back to kind of the first and second century BC with the Maccabean Revolution. Simon had... He had, he had expelled um, the uh, Syrian invaders from the temple and from the city of Jerusalem. And so when he, he pushed them out of the city, who were, was, they were attacking the city, when he came back into the city, people were waving branches of, of palms and just saying, you know, welcoming him back. And, 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 and they were just grabbing things as a way of so, saying or showing honor. And they were, they were, they were waving these things. And this, so when Simon came back in from the Maccabean Revolution, uh, this became known of national Israel. Okay, so Israel was looking as a symbol, kind of like, you know, we have the bald eagle and we have other symbols of our country that when you look at that, you think of things. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, I was driving down the road I saw this massive bird like fly right across. I was like, what is that thing? And looking, sure enough, it was a bald eagle. It was majestic. And you know, you know, some patriotisms are swelling up a little bit here, you know. It's like, man, that's, that's our bird, you know. I'm glad. I think it was Franklin that wanted the turkey to be our national bird. I'm glad that that didn't happen. But, you know, so, so we had this, like, you, know, you see this. It was a symbol of our country. Well, here, the palm branch had become kind of symbol. If you, if you look at Jewish coinage that was used in the, te- in the temple during this time, you would see palm leaves uh, engraved in the back of this. So it really was symbolic of national Israel and symbolic of the strength of Israel that they were hoping to be restored, okay? So that's why when... Jesus comes in, they are ready. They're ready for him to be king. And so they want him to be king. And so they're waving these branches and that they're having it so that that way uh, 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 he would be received as such. And, and that's the thing that's different about this is that Jesus, he doesn't rebuke him for this. In fact, they're saying Hosanna. Uh, does anyone know what Hosanna means? Save us. Good. Okay, good. We just sang it, so I'm glad people know what we were singing. Okay, it means save us. Where does that word come from? Well, actually, it's a transliteration of a Hebrew word. Okay, and transliteration is different than translation. Uh, translation is when you take one word and you just say, okay, here's the meaning in this language. Okay, so if I were to say, you know, hola, what does that mean? Hello. Okay, so I did, we just translate it. Okay, now you're all bilingual. Okay, so we go, to, we translate it. A transliteration is when we don't take the word in the new language or in the second language, we're actually making up a word. Okay, we're just taking the letters, the equivalent letters, and we're making them into a new word in the new language. That's what's happening here with Hosanna. Okay, uh, we, there's also words in the New Testament. Actually, our word baptism is a transliteration. Okay. The word mean, baptizo, okay, is the Greek verb, which means to immerse or to dip or to plunge. 
Well, I won't get into all the reasons why, but in the 1600s, when they were making a translation, they actually just took, instead of translating the word, they transliterated it and just took the, the beta, which looks like a B, and the alpha, which looks like an A, and the pi, which looks like a P, and so they just went through and they transliterated it, okay? That's what's happening here, and it's all about this word of save us. Now, the reason why I'm taking time to explain this is because they would have understood exactly what was being said here. In fact, if you were to go back and if you're taking notes, just write down Psalm 118.25, okay? So Psalm 118.25, that's a, a messianic psalm, if you will. And what's happening there is that there's actually a line in there where it talks about, it says, save us, we pray, O Lord, Okay? And, and so this is the word here that's, that's being said here. So when Jesus is entering the city, they're waving branches. They're saying Hosanna, which was a very clear statement of asking for salvation. In fact, it was almost like save us right now. There's an immediacy to it. And so he's saying save us right now. Later on, uh, in the first and second century AD, uh, we're going to see uh, like there's a document called the Didache that becomes the church manual. This word is used as praise of God. Okay, all that to say, the reason why I'm taking time to to wor- walk us through that is because Jesus is accepting what this crowd is doing. That is very different very much so different than what had happened before. In John chapter 6, okay, so that would be another reference you could write down here. I didn't put this on the screen, but John 6 verse 15. In John chapter 6, we see just a few pages before, we see that Jesus, this was after a miracle when he fed the 5,000, that there was the crowd there that they were wanting to make him king then. John chapter 6, verse 15. And Jesus withdraws from them because his time had not yet come. Okay? So this was not the first time that crowds wanted to make Jesus king. But this is the first time Jesus accepts it. He rides in on a donkey. Now, what is that about? What's, why is that so significant? Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of teaching on this. There's a lot of teaching on this. One of the things is that people talk about how that is because it's an expression of humility and peace. That's possible, and that's definitely probably part of it, okay? But it was not unusual for kings to enter into a city on a donkey. They didn't always ride the war horse, in fact, it was often that they would ride. If you look in, in, in uh, uh, cultural history and uh, uh, Jewish history, that's what happened. Okay? In fact, Solomon has even talked about as entering into the city uh, on the back of a donkey. So what's happening here is more than just that symbolism, Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. In verse, what do we have here? Verse 15, we have a quote there. And uh, some of your Bibles tell you what quote that is from, all right? What's the quote from? Where is it from? Zechariah, right? Chapter, what chapter? Nine and verse nine. Very easy, okay? So Zechariah 9, 9. This is a passage where the hope of Israel is being declared by a prophet, that there's going to be someone who's going to save Israel. And what does it say in Zechariah 9.9? This quotation here, it says, Fear not, uh, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus is fulfilling this messianic prophecy here. 
And when he comes in there, you got the palm leaves, you've got the hosanna, you've got the coats being on the ground, you've got Jesus on the donkey. When all of this is highly symbolic that everyone there would just immediately say, this is it, this is our king. This is who he is. And he's finally accepting it. Think about this, that the crowds that were with him and that he had denied their acceptance, now they're, he's, they're saying he's accepting what we're trying to get him to do here. So here's what we can take away from this first point here. If Jesus entering the city as a king, there's a couple of things we can take away. One is that the fact that Jesus is a, a fulfilling scripture like this, that should boost our confidence in the Bible. That when we see a prophecy that was made you know, hundreds of years before and Jesus is perfectly fulfilling it yet again, another way that boosts our confidence in the Bible, right? Fulfilled prophecies help us understand these things, okay? But also, this really should be something where we stop and think, okay, Jesus is ready to be king here. Is he my king? That's something that we have to wrestle with here. This is something that, and, and, and again, we're going to see how it's a different type of kingdom than what maybe they were thinking of. But the reality is, before we get to there, the reality is, is are we ready to make Jesus king? Are we ready to embrace, I should say, embrace Jesus king at, 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 of our lives? Is he really in rule and reign over your decisions? Uh, the decisions that you have to make on a daily basis or those major decisions or even the minor ones that you have to make, you know, where does Jesus fit into that decision-making process? You know, how, we, how we treat our family members, how does Jesus fit, how does his kingship fit into that? You see, you know, we, we, we're people that, that do things that we just want to do. And I'm the same way, right? I mean, we are people who we want to do what we want to do. And it's something that is like in us that we just want to do what we want to do. But we got to check ourselves and we got to say, wait a minute here. I don't always want what's best. I mean, there's been so many times where, where I've said something and, and, and you've been there. You, you, I know you've been there. Where as you're saying something, you're thinking, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to anyway, right? Or I know that this isn't right, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because in that moment, the rage, in that moment, that hurt, in that moment, the frustration, the sadness, or whatever it is, is governing everything in that moment. And that's just where we got to say, Jesus has to be king in that moment too, okay? Jesus has to be king over every area of our lives our vocations, our family. I know I've shared this before. As I, as, as I became a parent and my kids get older, I so understand my parents so much better, okay? Now, some of you, you have a smirk on your face. You know what I'm talking about. Because some of you are, I mean, maybe you could be my parents' age, and you're like, oh, I'm glad that you young guy is starting to get it, okay? So I, I, I get it, I get it. But, you know, as my parents, as I get older and I see some of the things in, in, in life circumstances, there's a, there's a couple things. One that is, comes to my mind, first of all, is I realize my parents probably didn't know what to do half the time. <laughs> all right? You know, as a parent, you know, we, we're like, what do we do in this situation? Because there's not a playbook for it. And, I don't, I, and that statement I don't mean in any disparaging way. Uh, towards my parents. What I'm saying is, is, that, is that there's not a playbook a lot of times of what we do. And we got we to gotta, we gotta ask God for help on this, right? 
And so, so as, as I think about what my parents have done, the decisions they've made, and how that they, they, they allowed me to make the decisions that I make, and, and you know, career-wise or whatever, and how they supported that, I'm just incredibly grateful for that. I'm incredibly grateful that I had, by God's abundant mercy, that had, you know, a family that pushed me to follow Jesus. And I didn't, I haven't done it perfectly. I have messed up so badly. But I'm grateful that there was always in our home, Jesus is going to be king. Now, there was times there was a tug of war match. And there was times where we sinned and we had to confess and all this stuff. But in the end, Jesus is going to be what he wants. Let me just encourage you to develop that. Develop that into your home and into your kids' lives. And, 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 and teens, let me just speak to you and children who are present. Let me just speak to you for a second here, okay? Can, can I just beg you as your pastor here that if you develop that Jesus is king mentality in your life, you will be much better off. Now, notice what I'm not promising you. I'm not promising you that it's always going to be easy. Okay, I'm not going to promise you that. But what I am going to promise you is that you're going to have a, a, a hope and a set of direction that is going to set you apart and is going to sustain you. The other day I was having a conversation with someone. Um, I don't know that this person's a believer. In fact, I don't think they are. They're going through some, some difficulties in life. And having a conversation, they're not part of our church and just someone else that, that I just know. And so I was... I was having a conversation with this person, and they said, you know, I just, I just have a lot of questions about God. There's a lot of things that just don't make sense. And honestly, I'm a little bitter. I'm a little angry. And you know what I told that person? I said, I get it. I said, there's a lot of things I don't understand either. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes here from this text. I said, but here's, here's why I can't go walk away from Jesus. And believe me, I've been tempted to many times. The reason why I can't is because walking away from Jesus doesn't give me any advantage. In fact, it just makes it worse. In fact, the bad situation that I just don't fully understand, all of a sudden I'm in a situation where now there's absolutely no hope at all. But with Jesus, I don't have to understand it all. But I know that if he's king and I look at how he works all things out and how he is sovereign, he is good and he is righteous and he is just, I can trust that. So let me just encourage you, particularly everyone here, but particularly you teenagers and the, and the kids present here, as you're developing your own worldview, Jesus has to be king. He has to be king. How you make the decisions about your relationships, how you make the decisions about what career you want to go into, how you make the decisions that you make with your time and all that stuff, please let Jesus be king, okay? He will bless you for that. It won't always be easy but you will have hope and you will have strength. We'll talk more about that here in a few seconds here. So first of all, when Jesus, he enters the, the city, he's entering as a king. I mean, and he's receiving this for the first time. The fullest of time had come. The time had come. Now, beforehand, the hour had not yet come, and now it is here. But here's where we need to, to, to go with also. Secondly, not only does Jesus enter the city as a king, but he enters as a lamb. Now, where do I get that? Well, I'm a little bit past the, the passage where David read for us today. You know, in verse 23, Jesus answers. There's some people that are looking to see Jesus, and Philip and Andrew go and talk to Jesus. And so Jesus answered them. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he goes and he talks about the grain, and, and, and this is all him talking about his death that he has here. 
So Jesus, what he's doing here is he's saying, the purpose of me coming into the city was that the hour had come. Now remember, this is from the, the, the uh, coming off of where Jesus has told his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. Remember that conversation? You remember who had an issue with that? Remember Peter? Remember his response to that? You know, he's like, no, not going to happen. You know, FYI, Jesus wasn't king in that moment. Okay, all right. He says, nope, not going to happen. What does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you're an adversary. You're, an advers- you're being adversarial toward my plan here. Very intense conversation. So all of this is in the back of these disciples' minds, okay? And Jesus now enters into the city as a king, but also he says, I'm going to come in to die. So we're going to see the confusion of the disciples here in a second. It's kind of understandable. But here, Jesus, he's, he's saying, I am going to be this, this lamb. Why do I say the lamb? Because what was going on? What holiday was going on? It was Passover, right? Passover was happening. This is what was going on during this week here. This was during Passover. And you say, okay, what was Passover? Let me give you a brief reminder of what Passover was. Passover, we go back to the book of Exodus, chapter, I think it's 11 and 12, that you will see that there was uh, this Passover instituted, okay? What had happened was is that uh, Egypt, uh, or excuse me, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and they had been for uh, several hundred years, and now was the time for them to be led out of Egypt, and God raised up Moses to do that. So Moses is leading the people. There's a lot of, a lot of difficulty with that and, and uh, uh, a lot of you know, craziness that's going on there. We won't get into all that, but he's, he's trying to lead these people out. Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, doesn't want the people to go. Why? Because that's their workforce, and he doesn't want them to go and do this. And so you know, Moses is saying, you got to let the people go. God's saying, let the people go. they got to go to the land that God has promised way back with Abraham. Pharaoh says, no, you know the story. Many of you know the story. So God brings some plagues onto the land to encourage Pharaoh to let the people go. And so uh, most of the time, Pharaoh responds hard-heartedly and says, nope, not going to do it. Sometimes he fakes that he's actually going to let them go. Then he changes their mind. The very last plague, the tenth plague, is the death of the firstborn. He says, okay. You know, the penalty of sin is death. This is what's coming onto the scene here. Bring Brat back to the memory here. Okay, firstborn are going to die. Okay, so we have the people, they're enslaved, and death is coming. That's the story of the Exodus. That's the story of Passover. But, not, but it doesn't stop there. God said, but yet, if you, if you sacrifice the lamb, and he put the blood over the door hand and on the sides, the, the, the top of the door and down the sides. And then you, you do what I tell you to do, you, you will be passed over, okay? You will, you will not have to experience the death of the firstborn. And so that night, that night, that's what people did. Some people, they believe God and, and they, they took the blood and they, they spread it over there and they sacrificed the lamb and they did that so that the, the death angel came through, they would be passed over. Other people did not and there was much sorrow in the land that day. The Bible says the wailing was so loud you could hear from far, far away. But God tells people, he, says, he told the Israelites, he says, I want you to remember this. 
And I want you to, every year, I want you to have a feast where you talk about the, fast, the, the Passover. And you're going to reenact it, and there's all these things. It's like a 15-step thing. And so you go through all this, and where there's this, this memory of, of what Passover was. And this is what God says to do. And this is what the people were gathered for Jerusalem to do here. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I am going to be that Passover lamb. I am going to be the sacrifice. And, and think about it here. Spiritually, you know, I told you that Israel was enslaved and death was coming. The, the same is, is true for, for humanity, right, is that, that we're enslaved by sin. The Bible says that we are ensnared by sin and enslaved by sin, and, and death is the, is the punishment of that. And, and the Bible says that if, if, if we don't have forgiveness, God's forgiveness, then we have to pay the penalty of sin, and that's eternal separation from God forever. And so the, the penalty, the wages of sin is death. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's coming into city as a king, but not just as a king, but he's coming in as a lamb so that people could have their sins forgiven. And that's the message for today. That's the message for today is that your sins can be forgiven because of the Passover lamb, because of Jesus Christ. He didn't come just to only be a king. He came to be the king who was also the Passover sacrifice, the lamb. So let me just encourage you. Yeah, who's Jesus? Do, 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 you, do you receive him as your Passover lamb, as the one who paid the atonement for sins? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. And so that's why when Jesus rose again, which we're going to celebrate in seven days, that Jesus rose again, he dissatisfied everything that needed to be satisfied and we just have to put our faith and trust in him. So this Palm Sunday, I don't know everyone's spiritual condition here. I, I don't. But let me just encourage you to, to think through who is Jesus? Is he king? Is he your Passover lamb that is, that is really what I'm asking? Is Jesus your only hope here? And so let me encourage you, you, you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You look at Christ. Now you say, okay, Jeremy, I've been part of church for a long time. I've been here. I, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Yes, what do you have for me today that, that would be helpful to me? Okay, because I'm already trusted in Jesus as my Savior. What do you have for me? I don't have anything else. I have that Jesus is your hope, <laughs> okay? That's what I have, right? That's because that's what the scriptures teach. Please, let us, let's not move past that. Let's not just say, oh, I've got to get, you know, you know, beyond this. Jesus is your hope. And so then when he's your hope and you're trusting him as the Passover lamb, that's when you can lovingly and you can graciously and you want him to be the king in your life. So Jesus is the lamb. He's the king. But I don't need to, one other thing, as, uh, the, one other point I just want to make uh, as, uh, as, as, we, uh, as we start to wrap this up, is when Jesus entered the city, he didn't just come as a king, he didn't just come as a lamb, but he entered the city really to a mixed reception. I've already alluded to this uh, as we've gone throughout here, it's gone through the text here, but we see Crowds, some people think that there are two crowds uh, mentioned in this text. Some people think it's one. Uh, it could be either one. It doesn't really matter. But there's, there's a crowds that are represented here. Uh, we have the disciples, and then we have uh, the Pharisees. So let's talk about this. First of all, there's an excited crowd that is there. I've already mentioned this. 
that I told you that the, the, the larger crowd, they gather together, they're feeding off of each other, the energy. Have you ever been in a situation where there's a lot of people gathered? I mean, it, people feed off the energy of each other. This is why sporting events, they have to draw large, large crowds and then people start, you know, yeah, the frenzy gets kind of built up for the team or whatever. And, and, and in, in a negative sense, this is the, the danger of mobs, right? Is that individuals will do things that they never would do as an individual unless they were part of a larger group, right? So they feed off the energy of each other. Well, this is what's happening here. There's this frenzy that's getting built up, this messianic frenzy, because understand there's a mention of a miracle in this text of verse 17, and that's the raising of Lazarus. When Lazarus was raised, I mean, we cannot overstate the significance of that. When, and this is one of the reasons why Jesus waits. Remember, Jesus waited until Lazarus died before going. Jesus knew what was going on here. This was all part of the plan. But he goes, he hears that Lazarus, his friend, is sick. He waits. Then he goes, and he heals him. He raises him from the dead. The people there, when they saw that, that was like, that is it. And, and you can kind of see this in, uh, in chapter 11 here. Uh, look at chapter 11, you know, just the next page back. It says in verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did, talking about the raising of Lazarus, they believed in him, okay? They believed in him. And, and then it says, and some of them went to the Pharisees and, and told well, what Jesus had done. So the, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered the council and says, what should we do for this man performs many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Here is the real reason why Jesus was killed is that they didn't want any problems with Rome. They did not want Rome to give them problems. They thought that Jesus was going to cause a lot of problems. These Pharisees, that he was going to cause a lot of problems because people are starting to follow him. And they weren't following the Pharisees any longer. So many who saw this miracle, they believed. And those who missed the miracle, they wanted to see more signs. And, and I don't blame them. I, you know, a lot of times we, we talk about, you know, them as the crowds, you know, they just wanted to see signs. And on one level, I, I would be right there with them. I mean, is Jesus doing these miracles? Who wouldn't want to see more of that? But here's the difference. Here's the, the, the problem with the excited crowd is that the crowd was ready for Jesus to meet their needs, but he, they were not ready for Jesus to be their God, Okay. They were ready for Jesus to do these signs. They were ready for him to meet the needs that they had and raising friends from the dead and all this stuff. But they weren't ready for him to be God. They were ready for him to be king, a king over their nation. But it was when Jesus identified himself as God, it was too much. And he died. So the question is, for us, is are we content with Jesus just being the one who's going to intervene in our life every so often and meet our needs? Or do we want him to be our God? And, I, and again, I talk with, with everyone here, and including the teens and the children here. Develop this now. Develop this now that Jesus is not someone who's just going to just, you know, we run to during times of difficulty. Should you do that? Yes, absolutely. But he's got to be your God. And you say, well, man, you know, I'm just going to pick a number. Man, I'm 13. Leave me alone, okay? You can be, Jesus needs to be your God, okay, at 13 years old. You can believe 
in God at 13 years old. You want to be independent in so many other areas, right? You're, I know you. You're probably begging for your parents to let you drive already, okay? All right? Jesus can be your God, okay? But I'm not just speaking to teens and children here. You know, a lot of times, we as adults, we just, we just start to go down the road of, oh, Jesus just becomes the one that we just kind of lean on in times when things get really bad. But he's got to be our God each and every day. So there's an excited crowd. But then secondly, there are some confused disciples. I've already alluded to them, so I won't spend a lot of time on them. But what I'll say is that we know that from Acts 1 that the disciples thought that Jesus was going to set up a national reign with Israel. In fact, that's what they asked after the resurrection. He said, okay, now are you going to do this? So we know that this was in the back of their mind all the time. So when Jesus enters the city riding on a donkey instead of a war horse, they probably were a little confused by this. In the back of their minds, they were still trying to process what Jesus was telling them that he, as I mentioned earlier, that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to die. They didn't want him to die. But here, when they get to the city, they were probably half expecting people to be, Jesus to be met at the city gates and incarcerated and carted off because of what Jesus had told them it was going to happen. And so that when Jesus shows up, though, now the people are waving branches and they're singing Hosanna and they're, they're wanting to make him king. This had to be just, you know, very confusing to the disciples. They said, well, did Jesus change his mind? Has the plan What's going on here? What's happening here? They're thinking about us. For the first time, they've seen Jesus accept this on top of that. He's accepted the king designation. So they're, wait a minute, has the plan changed again here? What's going on? Because they heard Jesus say, now's not the time. Now's not the time. So now they're saying, wait a minute, maybe it's the time is right now here. Maybe Jesus will be able to set up the kingdom without dying in the process. Did you see the confusion that they probably had? You know, a lot of times we're pretty, we're pretty harsh on the disciples, and maybe rightfully so at times. But this had to be confusing to them. But then we have this desperate op- uh, opposition here. At the end, uh, we see the Pharisees are saying to one another, I'm in verse 19, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world's going after him. What's going on there? But they're saying that we've been trying to stop him. We've been trying to discourage people from following him, and it's not working. Everyone's wanting to follow him. They're getting more and more desperate. John has already clued into the panic that's setting in amongst the Pharisees in that text that we read earlier in chapter 11, verse 45, uh, 48 that I said. Uh, then in verse 49, it says, and this is John 11, and one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He says it's not on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And so they're trying to kill Jesus because they're seeing people follow after him. They are getting more and more desperate in trying to oppose Jesus. So here's, this is the, the mixed response that you got. What can we learn from these? Well, uh, we can learn from the crowds that we must accept Jesus as God and not just as someone who is there to meet our needs, although he is there to do that. We can learn from the disciples that we can trust Jesus even when we are confused about what he's doing. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I just, I try to be transparent, as transparent as possible. I don't always understand everything that God does. I don't. You know, no amount of you know, time as following Christian or studying the Bible is going to perfectly 
help me understand everything that Jesus does because he's God, I'm not. But when I look at what he's doing here and I look at the scriptures, I can say, okay, I don't have to understand, but I can trust. I can trust him. So we learn that from the confusion of the disciples. They didn't understand it, but it worked out as what was best. And we can learn from the Pharisees that opposition is futile. Jesus will reign. He will always reign. And so what we've done here today in this Palm Sunday sermon, we've looked back at how Jesus entered the city on that first Palm Sunday. Entered as a king, entered as a lamb. We saw the response that he got. But I need to close by just reminding us of this, that we are waiting for Jesus to return right now. We're waiting for him to come back. Just like, you know, this triumphal entry here, the people were waiting for the Messiah to show up. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. In John 14, he says, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So here's my question. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Some of you are like, absolutely. Yes. And maybe that's coming from a statement of faith. And maybe that's coming from a statement of life of experience. But I would also venture to say there are people in this room who are saying, "Uh, not yet. And again, I understand some of those reasons. But let me just say that we need to be ready for Jesus' return. We need to be praying for that. We need to long for that. But he's going to come back. And the Bible says no one knows the time or the hour comes back and we got to be ready for that your king is coming are you ready the bible talks about how that there's he you know jesus told parables about this and talks about how that he gives metaphors you know the the the, the, the new testament authors give some metaphors about this but you know there's a there's a, there's a there's a passage and i believe it's in the book of hebrews that the exact reference is escaping me i apologize but it talks about how that it's possible for us to be ashamed at his coming. I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't just urge you to say, you've got to be ready for Jesus' return. Follow him as king. Embrace him as the lamb, the Passover lamb. 